Soundscape. Soundscape. <laughs> and we're live on Parry Talks. We're back. Episode uh, 18, I think. We're actually keeping track of episodes this chapter because I'm going to try to show that I'm a bit more organized and professional than I would have been before. Now, this is a professional media organization. So welcome back. Number two of the Zoom series slash saga. Um, we've got another local legend. We're bringing it back home again. No more international DJs, no more interstate rappers. We don't need any of that. We've got to keep it true to heart with the one, the only, AK Sports. How you doing? G'day. Well, I guess you could call yourself an international DJ. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I did just come back from London, so I was trying to get that, you know, vibe going for me, so you completely undermine that. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, a- Technically, you are our first international guest on Paritalks. Yes. yes. Um, let's just get straight into it, because you already mentioned it. Um, you just moved back from London, unfortunately, because of coronavirus. Um, if you just like maybe aside from music, how was that process coming back? Like, did you have to quarantine? Um, like, was it hectic? How did you like finally make a decision to be like, I'm coming home? Man, so that was tough because I was educating myself a little bit on what might happen a bit sooner than other people were listening to podcasts with epidemiologists and people that study pandemics. So I just knew that everything was going to go on lockdown over there and I had started because I was working as a DJ and also helping out in events as artist liaison at like Hintworks, which is been fucking sick. Um, so obviously events and also a little bit of hospital on the side. So those two industries were hit pretty hard, um, pretty soon into the whole, yeah, the whole, the whole, the whole crisis. The whole thing. <laughs> I was going to say saga, but then I didn't want to steal the saga <laughs> or take away from Paradox saga. But yeah. Uh, epidemic um so yeah I had to yeah I had to actually make the call pretty quickly to come back because I knew either be stuck in London in a flat where it could kind of get worse where maybe I won't get the same medical treatment as I might if I was in my home country worst case scenario or like yeah and it was just kind of like my, my parents live in sort of coastal northern New South Wales now so it would actually you know the contrast between sticking it out there for six months or sticking it out in a, you know, beautiful area, like in a small flat in London versus a beautiful area with lots of space and you know, nicer weather and stuff seemed to be like a bit of a no brainer, but it was a decision that had to be made very quickly. And I literally booked a flight back. People were either, people that I knew in London either had, were employed and were just staying at home in their nice houses with their nice salaries, or they were doing maybe more creative contract stuff like me and everyone like everyone in those positions lost their jobs pretty quickly and prospects and everyone was making the call pretty, yeah like straight away like people were flying home the day after i flew home three days three days after a girl i knew three days after i made the call and a girl i knew actually decided to stay a little bit longer which wasn't a smart move and then she was one of those people that was stuck in the whole hotel jail time yeah she was telling me some stories it was rough like some some people saying like oh don't make it out as if like it's this horrible jail time i have a friend who got to pick you know from three courses every day i'm like well i had a friend who was 
who, who got fed nothing on the airplane on the way over because it was a reduced service. And then they didn't get food for like 12 hours or something. And when someone did drop things off, they were just military trained people that were just like running away. So there's no human contact they had for days. Mind you, it did get better, but like, I'm really grateful that I wasn't in that position. Yeah. And I, one of my, I've got a friend who like, um, he's like in quarantine now in a hotel, had to move back from Berlin and like he is like making day away green screens with like, like oh. the hotel, like sheets and stuff. And like, nice. and like trying to make friends with the corridor with the guy across from me in the corridor and like knocking on walls, like trying to do Morse code and stuff. So he's really making the most of it, but he's a bit of a pseudo influencer. So that might be why. Really? Oh, pseudo influencer. Yeah. I mean, it's also a hard time to be creative, you know, so that's cool that he was still doing that. But like, I haven't written much music since I've been back. I've been, I've had some other things I've been working on, but in terms of getting into creative flow, like it's been quite difficult. Um, and I also have like, yeah, the, the experience of mine, it wasn't quite in a hotel, but I'm in a house by myself. So I was in a house by myself for two weeks. So that was very strange, like not being able to have any sort of contact with people and you know going for my life you know with my partner over in London to being by myself here was like yeah complete flip of situations you know yeah and I feel like for a lot of creative people the conversation I've been having with was like and you probably struggled with it because of how much of a rush it's been but for the people that have just been like stayed at home and stuff it took like a good while for my brain to process like this is a new normal so like get used to it and then like once I realized that after like three weeks of just being in like full lockdown I was like oh now I can start thinking about doing more interviews or now I can start thinking about writing articles again like it's hard to adjust your entire brain to like stop to believe like this is the new normal so like I feel you on that one hardcore Fully, fully. I'm definitely sitting in it now though. I was able to like do a lot of self-work that I didn't realize that I needed, you know, that we don't really usually have time for. And like even exercising, like I've had nothing else to really do but that sometimes. I'm really grateful for that. And then you realize how connected your your body and mind are. So like the stronger you are physically, like they're just so much more in tune and cluey and intelligent when you yeah when you're fit up not that i i'm super fit but yeah it's like being able to work on little things like that in small ways has been cool yeah and mindfulness and like yeah. achieving mindfulness yeah. is so different now like i like i used to like go out and like listen to music really loud and like that's when i was in my zone where it's like nothing else mattered but like now i've got to do that by myself in my bedroom it's like how does this it's not how it works it's yeah. like retraining that and like for a lot of people, I think, especially in our dance world, like retraining, like because we are so like tied to our communities as like, you know, self-coping mechanisms is like, that's what we look forward to. But now we've drawn it all back to being like, let's refocus on ourselves. And I think that's a cool thing that's might've come out for some people out of this. Totally. Totally. Also on the exercise thing, there's like a river, like a river track, like the Cooks River Trail. Um, all through like from like in the southwest Sydney um, all the way to the airport through to Brad and stuff and I've never seen so many people on that track in my life and I'm out there like what are you guys doing like don't teach your kid how to ride a bike now like are you serious like it's so crazy so if you're listening and you live near that don't go on it please I went to Rushcut. I popped down to Sydney for a couple of work teams last week 
Um, and I went briefly to Rushcutters Bay Park and it was shocking how many people were out and about in close proximity, touching each other's dogs and stuff. I was like, this is not social distancing, you absolute scientists. So, but it's also hard being in, you know, a city in such a densely populated area. We can't all be at home and not go outside, but like people don't realize you shouldn't be touching each other's dogs right now. <laughs> bowls of bacteria. Unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. And like, on that as well, how do you think the attitude in London was different to what you've seen or seen from afar in Australia about this whole thing? There's a general intrigue point. I mean, it's hard to say because I was judging in the times when you were told to stay home, but like restaurants and bars and stuff were still open. I was very much judging people for still going out when you could do other things. Like if you want to see your friends, like sit in a park, get takeaway beers, sit with some distance. It's just like smarter, smarter ways about it. But it was also way more drastic there at the time. And it's very densely populated London. It's like 9 million people, you know? So like what I saw and judged was, it was actually a very small percentage. So people were taking it quite seriously. Um, and I think Australians by nature are kind of anti-authoritarian, you know, we don't really like being told what to do. So Aussies like, yeah, I found, I think everyone's like fairly lax, but it's also like unfortunate to be just thrown back into the toxicity of the police force and government and community relationships that we have in Sydney. And it's just come back to it straight away with like how the cops are being with people and like the way they're treating the citizens is just like dog shit pretty much. I know we're rebelling as well, but like that's, that's not at all a thing in London. Like people respect the authorities and the authorities respect people and they're dealing with gross shit and they don't treat people like everyone's a criminal. So yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Is that making sense? Yeah, it makes so much because the one thing I've paid attention to is if you look where the arrests are in, like, not to make this a political podcast, but where the arrests are in Sydney in terms of, like, what areas and what postcodes a lot of the arrests are in, it's, like, the, like, you can just tell that they're picking on certain people and, like, looking out for, like, in certain areas and stuff rather than, Mm -hmm. like, going to, like, more affluent areas and stuff, like, well, like, yeah. It's crazy. That's interesting. But I, mean, I would usually like to agree with you. But to be honest, I've heard a lot of stories from in that said rush that is Bay Park, people were getting fined. And that's a very, very rich park. It's just everyone that owns property in like Dowling. Yeah. And Potts Point, you know. And also in Bondi, people getting a lot of fines. And that's typically fairly wealthy people. But I mean, probably, probably more. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's everywhere. But yeah, a lot of that for target as well. Politics, hey? (laughs) (laughs) What are you, greens? Yeah, I think there's something like always connected between any sort of, not to get too deep, but any sort of underground community, there's always some sort of social, like, um, like this, like a lot of the uniting force in sometimes like an underground DJ culture or like an underground party scene is like intrinsically political and tied to like political and social movements anyway. So it's Mm, no surprise that we're like, this is something that we're really interested in as people, given the type of people that would be interested in talking about like, you feel me? I feel you, Doug. So apparently you're a DJ or something. Yeah, apparently. (laughs) 
Um, let's just go. I, I wanted to sort of start. I didn't want it to be a whole, and I don't like getting too mopey on these podcasts where it's like, so how did you get into music? Like, what was the first song you ever liked? And that sort of thing. So, but I think a big part of this and like what I'm really interested in finding out about is that move to London and where you were creatively and um, how you felt as an artist slash DJ before you moved. So like, where was your mind space there? What was sort of the things that wanted to make you move over there and all that sort of thing? That's a really good question for a few reasons. Um, yeah, I, okay. So I'd been involved in the music industry for a while in various facets. Um, so as such, we've been fighting the good fight with the lockout laws for so long. And like, I didn't really want to throw in the towel and go to Melbourne, but I was kind of sick of like working in an industry where it felt like not just, you know, the political space was against it, but also people were starting it felt like in some ways being like more and more apathetic about the whole thing. There's a whole new generation of young people, you know, like yourself who might've never experienced, you know, what it used to be like, which was popping. It was crazy. It was like amazing. The music industry and the cross was all time. And I'm so sorry. You might've never got to experience that, you know, cause that was a while ago, even for me, I was underage clubbing. Like, I'm still in my 20s, but, like, I was going out when I was 16 with fake yeah. ID, you know? So it was a while ago. Um, so, yeah, uh, it's just getting more and more disappointing. And the music and the music that I was going in personally was just, like, a little bit too niche for what I could expect to be, you know, successful touring artists here. And I did do some cool shows, like Lost Paradise and Blue Line Steppers with Of Leisure and, like, you know, club shows around the country. But I also... my tastes were changing really quickly and I didn't want to have to compromise on any gigs in order to stay employed as a DJ. And I really felt like London, I was ready for an adventure in London. London's obviously the hub of, you know, a lot of the underground music scene, the clubs over there set the precipice for the rest of the world. You know, like if you get books, it, you know, if you get a residency at XOY or like, you know, Printworks or any of those major cool clubs, then then all the cool festivals around the world follow suit and, and book you and you kind of take off. And, like, it's it's also the same here. Like, we look over there to see which Aussie artists are killing it and then we like to support them back here too. So I kind of felt like if I went there, learnt new things, really just dive into the community, I'm sure I would grow as well in the ways that I wanted to grow, which I didn't feel like... I also, yeah, I also didn't feel like if I was to take off massively in Australia in this new sound that I was sort of heading towards. I didn't feel like I'd be ready there yet. So I wanted to like learn more and just really, and really, really, really focus on producing, just like have no friends and just write music and go to, <laughs> go to parties. And yeah, that's what I actually did that, you know, and I'm in a different place now, but yeah, there's a lot of reasons as, as to why I left and that's a few of them. Yeah. And, I'll unpack a couple of them. And yeah. when you talk about like the, the generation that had no idea what it was and b- before lockouts got revoked in Sydney, I was the sort of person that was like, stop complaining. All of you just like, come out, like, look at us. Like we're all these kids and we don't care. Like we still go out, we still buy tickets. And then like the first big lockout free weekend, I went to like three parties in one night and I'm like, look, I get it now. Like it was like Fiak, Nina Kravitz, DJ Boring um and human movement all in one night and then i was just like you guys were right i was wrong i'm sorry for whining 
and Maybe. like it's crazy that there's a whole generation that just like I assumed that Sydney was normal and I thought that that's what a normal scene looked like and for that to just get like absolutely thrown out the window in one night is so crazy and like I just got a little tease of it like over the back end of this summer and then for it now to be like normal but then to get taken away all over again I'm like oh you bastard you cheeky bastard but it's so exciting because imagine what the industry is going to be like now when it starts up again. Yeah, that's the thing. Um, I think the only issue that we might have looking forward is I think that a lot of the people that would typically come to our parties is going to be unemployed now. So they're not going to have money, which is going to be a bit of an issue. But other than that, I think hopefully as long as the hospitality industry is booming after, if we can, then hopefully it all presents itself back. I mean, on the money thing, like, no one in London has money. Everyone has half the amount of money, but the ticket prices are really low because they understand that. Mm -hmm. And people go, and that means that everyone's way more educated. So you're like, what one party of all these amazing parties on am I going to spend my five pounds on to get a ticket to? And then you go and you just get really into it. So it's like this different... It's like your experience as a young person is more valuable than how much cash you may or may not to have have to blow on like booze and, and whatnot. Like in yeah. cabs, it's like, no, you actually just, people in London value their life a bit more in terms of like, <laughs> oh yeah, enjoying themselves even if they're broke because everyone's broke. So I hope that attitude changes and, you know, ticket prices drop and people come out. Yeah, hopefully. And it's interesting that you left at a time when I feel like this summer, like last summer in Sydney would have been tough to watch from afar because it was like absolutely like incredible because it just sort of 180 and it like became like, hang on a second, like this is so crazy. Um, but maybe from a distance, how would you compare what you saw of the Sydney scene like when you left to watching it from afar? Like... What change do you think that you saw from the far? I mean, if it's, always, it's always when summer kicks off anywhere, so do all the parties, you know? So that was hard to see all my friends going out while I was in winter, but I knew I was in London for a purpose. And, like, every summer there's lots of parties, you know? Like, nothing... If anything, I was really sad because of... Um, the the fires you know yeah. that's what i was thinking about was the fires not the sick parties and like you know i as i said i've been working in the music industry for a while so i like the older you get the more you like the parties will always be there yeah. you know i was kind of just focused on my own career in london and and the uk and trying to get that off the ground there which was very very hard but exciting challenge yeah so yeah because it involves a lot of like learning and networking and yada 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 <laughs> um but and then you sort of hinted at it as well like it would have been nice to step away from that comfort zone and just break the bubble a little bit and be like this is the real world now and exactly. i'm looking exactly. forward to doing that so much like and that was it it's like a comfort zone as well i just wanted to like experience new things and see how fucking hard it is in like in the in the heart of it because it is and like yeah, just get a different perspective. And I mean, not that I wasn't already really driven, but just get like an even extra drive, mm. you know? Yeah, yeah, beautiful. And to talk a bit more about, like you hinted at, so we're still unpacking that initial question. Um, you hinted at like a, at, a, at a taste change. You said that your taste was changing musically. 
Um, do you want to jump more into that? Like, what, what was that initial taste first? You know, what was it bubbling into? Like, when I started, I really liked DJing interesting sounds and really aggressive, uh, chaotic kind of drums or, like, anything that came in that was a bit chaotic and I would slip it into mixes, like, and it'd be really fun, it'd be a nice energy, but like, I just was never really able to fully explore that sound and I didn't really know there was like a market for it. And then just the more I didn't, the more I stopped playing for the crowd and started playing for myself was the more I was able to develop, you know. So I got a show on Ballamy Radio in London mm. before George Fitzgerald, like once a month, really cool. Like George came in, he came in with like DJ, oh, someone's manager. I'm not going to say the wrong name in case I'm tossing up to you, but came in with someone's manager. It was really cool. It's just like a great space to be around. And every show yeah. I just delve into different styles. So like one was like jungle, one was like, rave what in like trance just like really high energy faster shit that i would always work up to in sets whereas you know having a platform like bellamy i could just start there and i mean mind you they still work up a little bit but they'd be much longer just like going and i just wanted and like you know i didn't know that there would be an opportunity in australia to do stuff like sherelle does where she just plays like 140 plus bpm and like there's a market for that somewhere you know so there's like way more opportunity which allowed over in London, which allowed me to explore these heavier sounds, you know? So yeah. And then it all circles back to Australia as well. Like there's an amazing Australian artist I've recently discovered called like DJ Plea and he makes like, Unreal. yeah, like he just got a write up on RA. RA, yeah. Yeah. And like, I was like, cool, that's great. And I put a couple of his tracks in some mixes recently because I just like the percussive and slightly strange nature of it. Yeah. He's, that little like logic a thousand played cop envy crew is like so cute and beautiful and they yeah. all just make like turbo like tunes and it's unique like it's not just like the standard you know like electro or breaks that you'd like sort of be used to like there's a lot of cultural influence on it which is so brilliant and like so inspiring and engaging a nervous horizon is a label that's put out some of played stuff and like they're doing really cool things and it's all does as you said has a strong importance on like yeah the cultural influences behind it and like you know paying tribute to to those influences in a way yeah it's awesome um wow that was brilliant i always do that by the way i'll just like reflect on the conversation we just have wow that was so great (laughs) (laughs) that's just because um a lot of people a lot of people say like when I write for editorials or write or even do these podcasts, a lot of people come and being like, you're such a selfish interviewer, Parry. I'm like, what does that mean? It's like, you just ask things you want to know. Like you don't think about your listener. And I'm like, that's a bit harsh, but at the same time, like, you know, what? fair enough. That's interesting. It's a, it's a good style because you, you're, you're privy to a conversation rather than anything that's, you know, too contrived. Exactly. AK sports cosign. That's it. I can retire now. <laughs> um all right so in london um what sort of stuff are we doing in london you talk about like artist liaisoning um helping out just like were you just trying to get your like what was the objective of all that just to get your hands as dirty as possible or were you looking for any specific experience while you're over there um because i because i have worked in different facets of the music industry i was like what do i what would i 
you know, use those skills in and have a bit of fun at the same time. And it was definitely still on the event side of, of stuff, not necessarily like booking or promoting, but just being on the ground at events. I just, is a lot of fun, you know, and you meet cool people and you're in, you know, I, I, I worked for a company where very quickly in my early twenties, my office was the club and the mm. festival. And that was fucking dope. And so that's where I feel the most, kind of like relaxed amongst the anarchy and I ended up landing a yeah artist liaison role pretty quickly with a promoter it wasn't necessarily the sort of music that I would froth on the artist but like just being in that space I'm really good on my feet with like problem solving and I understand how events work and all the different people working at festivals and, and in clubs and like what an honor to work at Printworks doing that you know it was just running around the guts of that club with like a radio picking up artists and like or sorting writer and just it's kind of fun just enjoyed it really yeah that's so it's so cool like oh just print works like i've never like i'm too young to have gone or whatever just because like the transition from school and what i'd planned to do straight after in terms of work and stuff but like just looking at that some from afar it feels like a completely different universe it feels like it feels fake from from my point of view if you know what i mean mm-hmm. and like it's like a myth it's like you watch boiler rooms from overseas and be like, Oh, it's all a myth. But like, I feel like the one, when I actually head over there and like touch, you know, the door and shake the Seki's hand and tell him, thank you. <laughs> it will be real and it'll be worth it. Um, yeah. What are some things do you think in that London scene or in that London bubble, we could translate as a community back in Sydney, whether it's an attitude a culture or something more practical in terms of just like better practices? That's a really, really fun idea. It's hard because the police presence is so, so taxing emotionally. And that translates to how we party. So everyone's just freer over there because they don't have that same shit that we have to deal with. I don't know. I mean, mind you, I haven't been around for a while, so you can let me know. It hasn't changed. Exactly. So like, that is such a big, that was the first thing I noticed when I left was how much more relaxed and happy and freer I was when I, when I, when I arrived because the authorities didn't scare me. The authorities, I was grateful they were around because they were dealing with real shit, you know? Mm. And like, Everyone is just, I mean, we do, we do get that sort of vibe, you know, in warehouses in the, in, in the, in the West when the security guards are really nice and you're like, wow, this is great, but it still risks getting raids by cops. And like, you know, if anyone's to indulge in any substances, that's totally their choice and they should be able to make that choice as an adult and deal with, you know, take, take care of themselves and take care of their friends. And like, that's the thing about Berlin as well. When you go, it's like people are just treated like adults. Like not everyone is on drugs, but people that are on drugs is totally cool because they're taking just a small amount because they know how to take drugs. They're not freaking out and dropping five caps because there's a cop coming at them, mm. you know. So I do want to forgive everyone with that in mind before I do try to say how we can take notes of London, but that is such a big thing to yeah. the whole attitude of events. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I would love to see just more people out at more things, just supporting their friends more often. And like, 
being out there, just being a few things on so you can just party hop a bit and it's just more casual rather than like, you know, being st- like lockout laws did that, you changed everything. You kind of have to like come to the party, stay at the party, doors closed, you're not allowed to leave, you know, stay there. And like you're just in this one space, which is like not free, it's just a bit edge. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, imagine if we had, you know, all those cool warehouses we have in the inner west and you could just hop around to them because they were affordable and there weren't authorities like down your throat. I think that's, it's hard to, to achieve in said yeah conditions yeah um i mean everyone's a bit more diy over there you know like like you could do like the whole streaming thing we could just do more when you're allowed to actually have people around you know people could just do like boiler room style there's another thing called like kosh in london it's kind of like boiler room but like a little bit more diy you know we could do shit like that and just get involved let's do it yeah, let's do it. <laughs> Launch it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, brilliant. And that attitude thing is so true because if you're heading into a club and when you're in the club or before you enter the club, you're worried because am I going to get in? Is the second going to think my ID is fake, even though it's obviously real, even though I look 30 and I'm 20. And like just all that angst like manifests itself in shit behavior because when people are nervous, they don't make right decisions. And because of that, like it, it's it's it says so much about like just the attitude and like the tension in a Sydney club. Like the fact that there is tension is so weird. Like the fact that at any second, like anyone could get kicked out and stuff like that. And it's so crazy. And like you go to Melbourne or you go to like a certain BYO, like private party in Sydney and you can just feel the difference. Cause you like this, just the attitude change. And I think that for the general public, um, that's where a lot of change is going to come. Just like changing the attitude, just letting people know that like you can go out in Sydney and it can be fun. I think it's so important. Yeah. I mean, on reflection, like I was getting kind of salty at everyone just throwing in the towel and like having like just staying in the house and getting like, you know, loosey goosey in their, in their house. But you know, if you think about the, the tension in the club, which is supposed to be the place where we relieve our tension, that's the whole point of these spaces are to dance out our stresses of the week and, uh, yeah, it's just yeah, it's scary in that regard. So yeah, like do I guess I do put a bit of forgiveness on people just partying at home. But oh, and also I wanted to say like this might be a bit controversial, but all those kids dying at music festivals, I kind of blame the government and the and the police presence presence in the exact same way that I was saying before. Like that's what I was trying to hint had, at. With yeah, the, they yeah, haven't so. had. Sorry, sorry, they haven't had like the cross to go to to grow up and experiment maybe with something or like any like the only thing left musically aside from like a select cool space of selection of warehouse parties that not is actually a pretty bit of a bubble of, of the people that go exactly they're so hard to access yeah um yeah so they haven't learned they haven't been given the breathing room to like learn how to take drugs properly and then that happens and they just eat five caps because festivals are the only thing that they can let loose at and even then it's stressful it's just an environment yeah and one of the spots that you've missed and i don't want to go into too much detail because it's like all i speak about with my friends is this mothership <laughs> spot and it's like this diy but it's like the first diy like other than the rimbombo party spot is this like that's open air like 4 till 10 p.m and it's the biggest vibe ever. Like, it's absolutely unreal. Like, the gallery party was there and stuff like that. And, like, oh, like, when stuff gets back, you'll enter that arena and you'll be like, okay, this is something special. Um, yeah, that's great. 
yeah, I feel like we could talk about like the DIY and the whole scene conversation for so long, but you do have an EP coming out and I don't want to, you know, I want to help obviously talk about that because music is important. And I think especially from like your last releases and like the little single splattering, I'm really excited for it as well. Um, also, how do you think, how was your creative process? Like, cause I don't want to harp on for now because obviously it's a big transitional period for yourself coming back and that sort of thing. But how was your creative process in London? Um, how was hopping into producing and fully focusing on producing? Like, was that an exciting thing for you to do or was it easier when you were balancing it with more DJing and that sort of thing? So the only way that I've ever really made strides in my producing ability is when I've had slim to no, slim to no money and slim to no friends around. So I was in LA doing some like acting things a few years ago and that's what really launched like the first, like the first release because I just had nothing else to do but finally do this thing that was actually quite stressful because I always really wanted to produce but it's like learning a new skill when you're a bit older you're like oh god like do I have the time do I have the drive do I have the energy like will I even be good at this so it's like a lot of like positive self-talking to give yourself while you're learning this very intimidating space like music language is crazy mm. but like it also it's me like a glove like because I, I was really good at maths and I was also quite you know creative in terms of writing and and, and art stuff uh, art, art stuff in general um so yeah it actually it suits, me, it suits me really well so the more I get into it like the easier it is to keep going and like the more interesting it is for me but yeah so in that regard it was actually I had way more way more time to write in London because you know I was starting a new life and like very very expensive over there and like the only people I knew, most of them were like in West London and like cushy job, cushy nine to five jobs, which is like the opposite of what I was doing. So yeah, it was great in London. I just would pump out, like some days nothing would come, but like most days I was writing music and, you know, pumping it out, which is great. So you literally don't have any other excuse. Yeah. And is the EP that's coming out on gallery, a manifestation of that, of that writing period? Or is that always is the EP from like years and years of sort of writing? Because your debut single was a fair while, not a while ago, but it, there has been a fair bit of time. Yeah. Um, it actually, I've actually been sitting on this music for a while. Um, and with labels, you know, I wanted the right one. I actually initially gave it to a sub label of Lobster Theremin. And then something happened with her and she had to push it back. And then Angus and I were hanging out one day and I was playing some music at a house and he was like, what the fuck? This is sick. I would totally release this. And I was like, yeah. So I, you know, and he, we, we went through all the demos together and picked in. And also he also, you know, they weren't actually finished. So we worked on it together, him giving a couple notes on what he thought would be good to finish the track. And I also, yeah, agreed they weren't finished. So like together, you know, did the last 5% of a few and yeah, picked them. But then as with labels are, it's, you know, waiting for releases can take a while. So yeah, most of this was actually written before London, but finished up, a few of them were finished up in London. Like one of the tracks I actually had, actually changed the vibe up completely in London. So, I mean, yeah, that happened. It's kind of like, yeah, I flipped one of the synths to like double time, which completely changed the energy so and so that was like a ma even though it didn't take much time that was like a major idea behind the track was done in london in that regard but yeah most of the music that i wrote there 
is not on this release, but it's important to get these tracks out because yeah. they were where I was at initially. You yeah, know. it's your base. Yeah. Um, and talk about, sorry, I just lost my train of thought completely. Um, oh, I've killed it. I was about to ask an absolute burner of a question, but trusty old Parry forgot it. Now I was going to talk about um, this. This obviously won't be out. This will obviously be out before the EP. So what track are you most excited for people to hear and why? Shit, fam. That's a hard question because this EP to other people apparently makes sense. But to me, they're all so different. Mm-hmm. Um, the tracks, like one's kind of like ravey, dark. Another one's like literally just a jam that I made that me and Angus decided to put on there because it was interesting. Which, and then another one is like very emotional. Like, okay, that's it. So there's one track that I have my, my own vocals on speaking in French and it's like a really personal and it's really like building and euphoric and driving and then just a like crescendo of like crazy drums. So like, I don't know if you play it in the club, but it's just kind of interesting. It's like almost poppy in the structure cause you're on a bit of a journey, but like it was inspired by club sounds. And mm-hmm. I think it's cool having your own stamp on it, even if I'm speaking French. Exactly. So and you talk about different moods and there are, like you say, there's different moods on the EP. Um, is there like a consistent consistency in your creative process in the sense that do most of your songs start from a feeling or an idea or do they start as, I want to make a club tool that sort of sounds like this or is it as scattered as possible and it's just like whatever comes out? I mean, I write breakbeat mostly. So breakbeat has its own feeling, which mm-hmm. is kind of like a bit ravey, but then a, there's like a lot of breakbeat out at the moment that has really, um, really lush synths around it, just sort of scattered, you know, that like really spacious. So that's sort of what I was doing a little bit there. And that creates a different level of emotion. So that's sort of out of the initial high energy club, 150 BPM style to like a bit slower and like, Oh God, what was the question? <laughs> what was the question? Um, I even, I've forgotten the question. Oh, just like, what's your creative process? Is there a consistency oh, yeah. in it when you're chopping and changing between all the moods okay. or is it pretty so, just straightforward? It's just whatever comes out or whatever. Sorry. Yeah. Creative process. So creative process always like these tracks all started with break, with break, with sensibilities. And then that was the creative process because it just started from that mm-hmm. as a base and everything else came off it. Um, but like what I've been learning lately is like, if you have a feeling or an idea you just need to like sit down and just like nut it out and like make sure you finish the track. Even if you like in terms of structure, otherwise you're just going to have hundreds and hundreds of ideas. You need to like actually get it to like start middle end and then you can revisit it. And it's important to nut it out when you do have that feeling because you're going to lose it if you don't, mm. you know? So yeah. that's what has been my creative process lately is yeah. Working on, working on feelings. Perfect. It's hard to say that's beautiful stuff. <laughs> um, and yeah, like one of the things that comes to my mind now is like you have been sitting on the EP for a little while. Now that it's coming out, is it what's the feeling? Is it excitement? Is it relief? Is it nervousness? Because you know maybe you've developed your skills since these songs. Like, how do you feel? Um, I was really impatient for ages 
on it. But I, in terms of how delayed it, it felt, but now with, you know, retrospect, I'm actually so grateful for how long it's taken because now I've had the time to build up some other songs in a different style that I would be able to send, like happily be able to send. And also the whole process of releasing an EP and working with a label, especially someone as awesome as Tooks, it's like fucking exciting. It's sick. You're like getting new press pics and like trying to figure out what websites might put. I mean, and then, it, yeah, it's scary if no one cares. But, like, at the moment, in my mind, I'm just trying to imagine abundance. Because, like, and especially at this time, like, where everyone's at home, I feel like even though the tracks aren't getting, might not get played in the club, like, it's different time. Everyone's slowed down and might have more time to actually open up a press release and listen to an EP, mm. you know. But maybe it will get more traction right now. And if it wasn't so delayed, I wouldn't have got the splendor in the grass booking either. So yeah, it's like, exactly. yeah, like everything has come together really nicely. So I'm, yeah, I'm just, I'm just really happy. It finally feels like I'm a producer now. <laughs> yeah. And it, it, that would be an excellent feeling. And you talk about finally being a producer because you have done so much work in the music industry already. Um, how do you think just like that, you know, that wrapped circular knowledge of the music industry has helped same writing an EP or, you know, just making music, if at I all. Mean, it's, yeah, it's definitely easier because I don't necessarily need a manager in other ways that some people do need managers. But then, yeah, and I definitely can see through bullshit so easily now, like, and I feel really bad for young musicians coming in because they just get thrown around. So many people in the mm. industry, like, promise the world or like just come in and like, I don't know. It's just like my bullshit radar is just yeah. so on I know exactly. Yeah. But at the same time, it's still like really risky business trying to be an artist. Like really, really, really risky business. <laughs> but I'm a performer by nature. I always have been like involved in, in the arts and, you know, acting from when I was young. So like, and creating in that regard. So I love being on stage. I make the best art with an audience and it's about sharing all these crazy feelings I have. <laughs> in a way. Yeah. Acting. No, we're not going to get into that. No, no, that's I'll not. Leave you, I'll leave <laughs> um, yeah, but I think that's so exciting. And I think that talking to artists at this stage of their career is so exciting as well, because there's like so much like optimism and excitement and it like, it doesn't feel like a full, time job or anything yet so like hearing this sort of stuff is i think for some people like if you're listening at home and like you're like oh shit like maybe i should make an ep i feel like it's a lot easier to hear that from someone that's like just like about to reach their debut and talking really excitingly about it instead of like some you know some jock yeah. that's like you know jock <laughs> like it's just more accessible and i think that having these conversations are really important in terms of just I passing down that wisdom I, yeah, I'd say so as well. But at the same time, like, this might be the most exciting time in my career when my eyes are still wide, you know. Like, I, this EP might come out, no one gives a fuck. People, if anything, are like, ooh. <laughs> and then I don't get the gigs that I want. And then my producer career is over. So there's two options. <laughs> um, and just to pick back up on a point you were saying, um, with the Corona might help the EP in terms of people paying attention to it. I think that sometimes on dance EPs, people gloss over 
you know, the more listenable emotional tracks. If there's like a big club tool on the EP and they're just like, yeah, I'll buy the EP. I'll just rinse the A side and don't worry about the B side. But I think people might pay a bit more attention now to the listenable tracks, which could be like a silver lining on this as well. Yeah. Hopefully. Man. Every time I look up at the camera, I just want to dye my hair bright pink. <laughs> no, um, it's be red. <laughs> you know, and like we're wrapping up now because we've been talking for close to an hour. But if, um, I was going to say, my favorite thing about this episode so far is that we haven't been doing so many shout outs. Like if you listen to OG Parry Talks episodes, everyone's like, shout out this person, shout out that person. It's like, let's keep it personal. Shout um, out Pepe, shout out AK Sports. <laughs> um, two more questions that I ask everybody. Uh-huh. The first one is, what are the goat mixes, goat bow of the rooms? You can just throw in a particular order if possible. That's so hard. Three. Um, I, I think Sherelle's really cool. She's like this new artist coming out of London that, as I mentioned her before, she plays like 140 plus and like it's just really that beautiful um, vibe where it's just kind of like freaking out. Yeah. It's like high energy. I don't know if you've seen that. but like The backspins yeah. in that are absolutely yeah. insane, yeah. Um, I kind of like, there's like a scream boiler room, which is a classic. Yeah. Uh, I like him in Disclosure and he's just so fucked and like everyone's <laughs> So fucked, and then there's like feathers in the air and shit. Like that's a pretty good boiler room. Um, I don't know if I have another one. Is it boiler room specific? Um, no. Yeah. No, we can do anything, any mixes. I really put the pressure on people. This is usually the most awkward moment of every single interview. <laughs> just being like, yeah. just have like a really conversational forty-five minutes, and then be like, "What are your favorite boiler rooms?" Answer now. It's like a bit rude. Oh. I don't know. I don't really listen back to heaps of them, to be honest. Like, oh, you know what? Actually, I'm going to say, um, uh, Ben UFO's deck mantle set was fucking sick. Hectic. And the yeah. last question is just you have to neck nominate someone to come on Parry Talks or someone that you can recommend someone that'd be that'd be great to have a yarn to, of a friend of yours or anything. I mean, uh, all right, all right. Um, I Nick nominate Chrissy Jammin, uh, who is part of the techno duo Sideboot. And I nominate her because they've been doing work in the industry like me in a few roles, but they've also been throwing this weekly party Sunday service in King's Cross for the past few years, like right in the middle of lockout laws and actually really doing their bit as well as, yeah, being a cool techno producer and has toured Australia and Asia as a tour manager. And she's just got a lot of life experience and cool stories and also exciting times ahead as a producer, I think. So, and maybe not in the bubble of all the people that we know mutually. Exactly. Yeah. Jack Lima. (laughs) Get on the podcast. Strange associates, get on. No, that's beautiful. That's Sideboob. Notes very well taken. Let me send yeah. you a couple. Have you heard of Sideboob? Yeah, I have. Um, yeah. Heard of. I can't say I'm extremely knowledgeable, but definitely on the radar. Yeah. 
AK Sports, Parry Talks. What an episode. That was hectic. That went so quickly. Yeah, I feel like we've been talking for like 20 minutes. 